Marketing Made Easy, the podcast on this episode. Whenever we introduce her, we go, yeah, this is Sam and her claim to fame is she dated Hugh Jackman and everyone goes, whoa, and then our husband goes, yeah, thanks. <laughs> now here are your hosts from Get Savvy Club, Anna Geary and Anita Baldwin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Marketing Made Easy from the Get Savvy Club. Anna and Anita here. Hello. 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 Today's episode, we have property professional and serial entrepreneur, Nicole Bremner. It's a really interesting episode. She goes into the highs and the lows of having your own business and being in property, how she literally stumbled across being in property after trying to do different things, juggling being her mom and various other businesses she's had, and also how she dabbles and invests in other people's businesses as well, based on a few different criteria, some of which, actually, failing is going to help you because she'd rather... Um, go for people I won't go into all of it but she'd rather go and help out people and invest in people that have been through the mill and come out the other side and are still going than those people that haven't had any setbacks or struggles and the snowflakes of the world so let's get into this if you're enjoying Marketing Made Easy the podcast from Get Savvy Club use your podcast app to rate, review and subscribe welcome Nicole how are you today? hi I'm good how are you? really really good do you want to just tell us a little bit about um, you a brief background of your story and what it is that, that you do day today in your business? Sure. So I started off in banking, which uh, I think a lot of people did back in that day. I think it's sort of our age group, or I'm a bit older than you, I think, but uh, that sort of age group, it seemed to be financial services and banking. So started off in Australia and then followed love to Europe and ended up in London, worked in London briefly in banking and finance until I lost my, (laughs) I uh, overstayed my visa. And uh, I actually challenged the laws at the time of how long you could stay in the country without a valid visa, which was quite interesting. But then I was able to extend my visa and stay here. I then set up my own business back in the very early stages of e-commerce, way before social media, started up an online fashion boutique, which was a very interesting journey. Then we were transferred over to New York. So I lived in New York for a couple of years. And that's when Facebook really kicked off. So that was very interesting being one of the early adapters or early users of of Facebook back in. Still uh, with the fashion boutique in New York. Yeah, I tried to I tried to do it because the fashion boutique, it was called Britique, it uh, specialised in up-and-coming British designers, so it was very difficult to do mm. from New York, and I was trying to fly backwards and forwards between uh, London, New York, London, Milan, where all the fashion shows were that I'd do all my buying at, and then I fell pregnant, I found out I was pregnant as soon as I moved there, and that then just meant it was too hard to travel. So I did keep the, the, the business running for a little while, And again, it was very interesting to see how social media and and mainly Facebook at that time was changing the way that people do business and the way that businesses interacted with their clients. So that was very interesting. And then I found out I was pregnant with my second child and we moved back to London. This is now 2009. Had my second child and just thought this is far too hard running a business like this. So I managed to sell off bits of it, sold off the the fashion that we had in stock, sold off the website and sold off the customer database. So I was able just to sell off bits of that. And then I was left with this whole question, what do I do now? I've, I've done the banking. I, I would be a part-timer if I went back now. Uh, I did go back briefly in, in New York, actually. I had an opportunity to go back to Goldman Sachs um, very briefly. And that was a fascinating opportunity. But it certainly consolidated, in my mind, why I was not 
A, an employee, and B, in banking and finance. But I'm pretty much unemployable, I think. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so then it was just, what am I going to do? And I tried all sorts of things, and I did, and it was back in the day of cupcakes, you may recall. And so I tried bit of food photography and food blogging and that was huge back then and I did I managed to get a gig going back to New York to to shoot and do a, a, an article about that so that was really fun I had t- taught people how to knit and crochet in New York so I thought yeah I can dabble in that in the UK as well I just tried all sorts of things and while they were all creative they they certainly didn't they didn't make any money and I wanted to find something that allowed me to be financially independent and also creative and uh, I've I've always loved houses I've always loved properties my parents built their own properties on uh, their own homes I had renovated a flat just before we'd gone to New York I bought it in 2004 it was in Clerkenwell in central London I'd renovated that when I came back to London, I realized that that flat had made far more money than I had over the last uh, eight years. So we, I did another refurb after having tenants in that for a couple of years, sold it on and doubled my money in eight years. And I thought, this is fantastic. And then I was very fortunate that I found this decrepit, uh, derelict vicarage in Hackney at the time. And just my partner said to me, you should do this house, you should renovate it. And so we did, we renovated it and I did everything. Um, I I just did everything along with this builder who was also quite new to things I found out quite soon into it. And him and I were just learning on the the way. So you almost got into it it accidentally then? Absolutely. And even then I didn't realise that people could be property developers. Of course I'd seen Grand Designs and that was, again, this was in 2010. So... It was when the property shows had just started to get very interesting and to become really huge. So you had all these, you had homes under the hammer, you had grand designs. So I was watching those going, wow, people could actually make a living doing this. This is phenomenal. But I knew nothing about it. Did the house. That was really successful. Took 18 months only because I had a baby in between and my third child in between. And I had another major um, or two major operations as well in that. So I'd send the guys away and say, right, I'm healed now. Come back and let's do some more. So I did that. And that's when my partner just said to me, right, there's something in this. Here's some money. Go off, develop some property and uh, let's make a business of it. And that was in 2010. And fast forward to now and I've, I've currently got around – well, it's over a hundred flats for sale across London, and some of those are still being being built out. There's about forty nine being built out in Luton. We've got dozens across Hackney and uh, various other sites. So, and thankfully, a lot of those are selling right now. It's a really hot market. So, so do you yeah, sell so them all? You'd never, you don't rent them. Well, You're just a developer. <laughs> There's Not always just, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I just build them. Uh, no, it's um, it's it's plan A and plan B. And so plan A always was to sell them. And that was because of my tax situation at the time. And just that was the strategy that my, my now ex-partner and I had together was just to buy, renovate, sell and or build and sell and just keep building the pot. My, my situation's changed now. I'm going through a divorce, separated from my partner about three years ago. And uh, so now 
I'm more focused on, on income. And also the market conditions have really changed because you think about 2014, 15, just property went crazy. And then in 2017, it was 16, 17, the government started implementing changes because they realized that the property market was overheating. So they put tax changes through that made it far less lucrative to to be professional landlords, professional developers. And even now there are more, they're really dissuading people to uh, to become developers. Even some of the recent legislation changes in, in Hackney alone are just really, uh, they don't want small developers. They want the big house builders to do it all, which is it's unfortunate, awful. but I understand. Yeah, so no, so that's a very long-winded answer to your question. So uh, more and more we're having to hold stock. So I've we've now got some that are rented, some are on long-term shortlets, some are being held uh, just in my name or in my company's name, some are being held along with investors. So yeah, there are, there's a lot of different, with that many properties, uh, there are very different uh, strategies for each of them. But yes, holding and going forward, I will be holding a lot more because I do, uh, my strategies changed, as I said, and also I think that there's a lot of opportunity in the market or there will be in the next 12 months to buy and hold stock. Especially yeah, we're going to have a lot of changes, aren't we, I think now. So how did you get from just doing up that one decrepit house to owning over 100? You know, it seems like if for someone who's just starting out in anything, what's that tipping point where you go, do you know what, I'm going to buy 30 or whatever? Yeah, so there were two two things. First of all is I didn't start with a small amount of money. I, I'm always very open about this. I started with just over a million pounds, 1.2 million pounds, and that came from... Uh, some savings plus the flat that we sold in Clerkenwell. I bought it for four twenty and sold it for eight eighty, something like that. I can't remember the exact numbers, and it had a very small mortgage. So of course, all of that money was then earmarked for further property investment. So I had a lot of I had a lot of money. That's a huge amount, and I always am very honest about that. So that allowed me to scale up my business much quicker than someone who had, say, 100 grand or even 50 grand and they were trying to do the same thing. And the second thing was I was always very open to working with people on a JV basis. And so I would um, just be really open to it. And I think that came about, actually, because of the DENT program with uh, Daniel Priestley. If anyone knows that program, they'll know that there are five Ps pitch, profile, publish, product, and partnership. And for me, that partnership P resonated first. And I thought, right, yeah, this does make sense. It really makes sense to partner with people and uh, grow at a faster rate than I would on my own. But that's not without its pitfalls. And uh, so it's very much buyer beware in that, in that regard. But it did enable me to grow the business. The other thing I will add that really helped is by building my profile and building my social media profile and being very active on socials, a lot of people started uh, paying attention to that and wanting to be part of it. And that's when in 2016, we started crowdfunding. So all of a sudden, rather than just having my couple million of equity, we had an extra 6.43 million equity from the crowd. And they all got involved then. So, and that then allowed us to purchase a lot more uh, for, for 
good or not, uh, that's that's the that's a whole other question. But it did allow me us to grow the portfolio and, and yeah. grow very. And then, it, then it's managing that, isn't it? Because then, rather than like if you've got a re- like you say well, you're open to the JVs, and if you can have like one or two really wealthy people that you just have to align with, just those two people or however many few people it is, and you have the same vision, and you can keep a communication going. But when you have like um, you know lots of people putting smaller amounts of money in, it's just inevitable. It's going to be harder and harder to actually communicate effectively with them all and also be able to you know keep them all happy at the same time and let them know yeah. what, what's happening it's this is minefield so exactly. people have to wait up don't they if they want to to scale up which way yeah. they're going to go and ha- you know what that looks like because i think from the outside looking in people can just always assume but well, wrongly so many people and this is social media's fault as well actually is people will just assume often wrongly from just seeing like a short video you might have done or your profile that you are somewhere where you're not people kind of take two and two add it together and get five in their own heads don't they so absolutely social media means that you can go out and people can see get to know like and trust you fast on like linkedin or wherever it is or do your podcast and then they can reach out directly to you can't they and say hey can we work together and you can have you can forge relationships a lot a lot faster because they've already kind of done a little digging on you they've already had a look at some profile you know your profile what you've done what you're involved with and, and know if it's if it's the right fit or not it's classic marketing theory of seven touches someone needs to touch your brand seven times yeah. before they'll trust you enough to transact and what's happened with social media is it's expedited that process because all they have to do is look at your website Uh, look at your socials and easily they've got seven touches they watch a video of you and they think they know you like you say and they think they think that they've they've just sussed your whole persona and everything about you just from the snippets of information that they've got and yeah it's up to us to put out a very a certain persona as well it's that is our responsibility but at the same time we can't uh, we can't control everyone's immediate assumptions of us. And and that's great when things are going well, but when things are not going well, and you you spoke about this earlier, Anna, and that's about having numerous investors. And I've got over 169 investors, some of who have 500 pounds. And while I wrongly, again, thought that it was the platform's responsibility to communicate with them, Unfortunately, it's all come down to me and that means or to, to my team. And that has been an incredible, diff- incredibly difficult process is communicating with them all, especially when things have turned bad on some of the projects, which um, I've been quite open about. Uh, the just the amount of shareholder communication is very very difficult and you don't and you do need to weigh up and this is why I say that it, when people come to me and say should I take on investment I say really weigh it up because if you're going to get to where you want but just a few years later perhaps it's better just to get there a few years later rather than take the stress of, uh, of running we all try and run rather than run a sprint rather than a marathon and I think now I'm definitely at the stage where I'd rather run a marathon. But that said, I'm sitting here having benefited from that. So it's sort of, well, that's rich coming from you when you've already benefited from that. We're uh, guilty of that because we want to like sprint ahead and we see people that are further along and they're like, you know, like online coaches and things and me and Anita, oh, we need to be there, we need to be there. And it's like, and when we did our first program, we launched our first program, we were disappointed with the amount of numbers that we got into it. But actually, when we ran that program, I, I actually reflected and said, it's a good job we didn't have the numbers because we weren't ready. There were certain things we didn't have in place, certain things 
things we hadn't thought of. So, and, and if we'd have had like 100 people on that at that time, it would have been a disaster because they would have gone, well, why haven't you done this? Why haven't you done that? And we, and we can't. But And like you say, you, you had like 1.2 million to start with yours. And if somebody's invested in you and they put 500, their 500 pound in their head might be the same or feel the same as what one but point it is because you it don't is. yeah exactly yeah. You because so, they could be all they have and yeah. i know one particular investor saved everything and this is the other issue with crowdfunding which is a bit off topic but these are supposed to be high net worth sophisticated investors and mm. they're not and yeah. so you've got someone who to them they've invested three and a half thousand pounds and that's everything they've got and so for them if they're going to fight as fiercely for that as i would mm-hmm. for my 1.2 because that's all i've got and that's what they've got and the, the, it, it is uh, you emotionally you feel the loss uh, no matter what the figure is so um yeah it's it is very interesting and uh, yeah uh, social media again it, just to come back to that is is a, a double-edged sword in that regard because you can build up this persona but I think we've, that's why we need to be really careful about what persona we put out there. And I've been much more aware of what I'm putting out more recently to ensure that I get the right tone because things aren't always rosy. Sometimes things are really hard and sometimes we're emotional and sometimes we just, we're not feeling our best. Sometimes we're having a really hard time. What's wrong with putting that out there and what's wrong with obviously not airing dirty laundry, but just saying things as it is. And I know uh, so many people think, well, I can't do a story today because I've got no makeup on. It doesn't matter. Just do the story because I don't want people to meet me and go, oh, you look so much better on your profile than in real life. But it's funny because in last week's podcast, when we interviewed someone, we were just talking about um, how actually going through adversity and having tough times is a really good thing because then when you have tough times in business, you're absolutely fine. You know how to carry on and all that kind of thing. And it sounds like in your background, you've had that as well. So has that helped you, do you think? I've done a huge amount of uh, exploring this whole thing of um, failing fast and what it means to be a failure and trying to, because I, I honestly, towards last year so around this time last year I discovered some things that were a little irregular in my business and I went through all the seven stages of uh of mourning and of loss uh, within that and what it meant is that I had this real identity crisis I because when you think of yourself as successful in a certain thing whether it be with your recruitment and or whatever it might be you you build your own identity around what it is that you feel successful in. And when things started to fail within my property portfolio, obviously it was a time when I I looked at myself and thought, okay, well, I, I'm no longer as good at this as I thought. And what does that mean for me? Who am I now? And what is my purpose? I thought I had a purpose. I thought I had a mission and all of a sudden it's gone and it's it's, it's vanished. And I, I, at the same time, I had problems with my, Uh, In my marriage, as I had said a few years earlier, I'd met someone new, which new relationships come with their own complications. My children moved cities and schools. I moved cities and schools. So there was just so many things going on all at once. And I think some of the most interesting research, which is kind of what you've touched on there, Anita, some of the most interesting research that I've read is around people who've overcome extreme 
adversity and the way that they're able to rebound from that. And it just makes them truly resilient people. And there's some fascinating, uh, there's a book that I read recently, and it talks about the uh, millennials and even younger than that, how they are so offended by things that you wouldn't necessarily be offended by. And uh, what do they call them? The lily whites or something? Uh, Snowflakes. Snowflakes, that's it. (laughs) This snowflake generation. And the reason is, you think about how we are with our children. We don't let them face any danger. We try and protect them from all danger. They can't go out at night. They can't go bike riding around the neighborhood with their friends. We have protected and we put this protection system around our children so much that they can't deal with any adversity. So it's one little comment about, the way they look, their religion, anything, they fall apart because that really is the greatest, uh, just the greatest thing. There are people complaining about being taught history at school. Now, we can't change history. And I'm sorry if the history offends you. No, I'm not sorry, actually. You should not be offended by history. That is history. And what you should be doing is saying, great, we now know what's happened in the past. So we don't repeat those mistakes, but you don't be offended by your teachers teaching you what's happened historically. It's just crazy. So to just bring that back to business, I think that I'm now at a stage where I, I do a bit of investing into other companies and um, just seed investing and startup funding, that sort of thing. And what I've found is that there's so much emphasis placed on the exuberance and the energy of, of youth and of young people. But what I think is these people often have never been through a true a true time of trouble or true uh, trauma. And what I am interested in now when I'm investing in companies uh, is people who have been through genuine failure, not just, oh, yeah, I got seed funding for my startup and then it failed. Whoops, I'm starting all over again. That's, um, yeah, that's tough and that causes a few tears, but that's not – that's not traumatic. I'm sorry. I I want someone who's really been through the mill and they're out the other side with the wrinkles and gray hair and to prove it. And and they're the sorts of people I want to back because it's like a ship's captain. You don't want to back a a captain that's never been through a storm. You want to, you want to back someone or get on board with someone who's been through the storm and come out the other side or haven't. And they've uh, got the scars to show for that. So yeah, that sort of answers your question, mm. Nita. Yeah. yeah. So how do you really find these businesses then? LinkedIn, mostly. So oh. most people contact me on LinkedIn and say, hey, I've got this idea. Uh, one terrible merch that uh, my, my partner Paul and I have invested in, it's, uh, it's a music merchandise company. It's achingly cool, unlike me, but uh, they're great and they've got some huge plans and they're just, they're enthusiastic, but they've been through it as well. They've got very interesting stories, the two co-founders, Jack and Tersha. But Tersha contacted me on Instagram and just said, I love that you're a woman in a male-dominated industry, so am I, let's connect. And that's how the conversation started and before a few months down the line, we'd invested in their business and helped close off their funding round. Uh, with uh, another company, Bamboo Auctions, that was by Twitter, actually. they um, he, Robin Rathor, the founder, he put out a tweet one day saying, why is it that women in auction rooms, in physical auction rooms, make up just, or just less than 10% and yet over 30% of the buyers online are women? 
Is it something about the auction rooms that are just too masculine? Is it... Yeah, when I've been, mm. when I've been, like you literally like the token woman there. Yeah. And we just started this whole discussion and then he said, well, I've got an online property auction company and we're raising funds right now. Do you want to be part of it? And I went, yeah. So I invested in that one. And then another one, a women's fitness wear label that's, um, I've parked for the minute, but we'll be reviving shortly. That was, again, on Instagram. Someone approached me on Instagram and said, uh, hey, do you want to be part of this? But LinkedIn, I'm getting offers all the time on LinkedIn. Oh, the power of social media. It's great, isn't it? It's all social. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Um, yeah, um, what you said there about the snowflakes, oh, this is bad because I'm going to have to admit that I've watched this program now. But last night, I caught a little bit of... Um, Love Island in America. There's one on at the minute in America on like I two. Don't blame me. I was no. in an apartment and he had it on, and I was like, "Why well, got this rubbish on?" And uh, then inevitably, I was like, started to watch, and they were all so boring and so serious and so like took themselves so Woke. like you know, <laughs> yeah. oh, so but and uh, you know, oh, they're thinking about this and they were so they cared so much about what they looked like and they were all so intense and I was like, I wouldn't last two minutes in there. I'd, I'd never partner up with anyone and get chucked out. And um, but and it was and I was just thinking, yeah, that is that is the youth now. That is that is what they're like and that's like how. And it was it was a really sort of odd way. And you're right about the advert like the kids and the lack of like adversity because like in my house with my kids, we are very. Uh, character building is what i'm doing with my kids and so they are we have banter we have a laugh we probably say things that are not politically correct and then i send them to school so then <laughs> obviously they're then probably like you know i know my older daughter my, my oldest she's 13 she gets into trouble all the time and it's not even her fault it's my fault because i'm just so open and you know like i i can be offensive towards her and she can do it back to me and then she's she might say just innocently something to somebody in the school playground and then she's like called up you, you mustn't say this you mustn't say that and it's like you know actually yeah. we're losing the humor then aren't we we're using oh, I think like you know you owe it you to your kids to be mean yeah. to them because then yeah. you can prepare them oh, <laughs> oh, that's what i say when i'm when they say oh, you're bullying me and i say no i'm preparing you no i say to my kids yeah i'm i want to be a mean mum there's an excellent poem that my mum had and my grandma had about mean mums and when people say oh my kids are my best friend no your kids that's don't need you as a best friend your kids need you to be a mean mother yeah. and <laughs> help form them and give them the boundaries not Oh, my kid's my best friend. Definitely got to get that poem for us for the show notes. I will, I will, I will. I'll write that down. Uh, yeah, but just to another thing that I had a bit of an epiphany moment uh, just the last few days, actually, because I love Tim Ferriss. I love his podcasts and I love how he does these experiments in lifestyle design and he's got really good guests. So I, I have been listening for about two months to one podcast with Hugh Jackman because it's about two hours long. <laughs> this one's really interesting and I love Hugh Jackman. He's Australian. He's he's absolutely all around awesome. nice guy, isn't he? Really nice. He's got this lovely long relationship with his wife who mm. he hugely, hugely respects. He also dated one of my friends in Australia. It's her claim to wow. fame. They went out, they kissed a few times and they uh, she then made him a mixtape and never heard from him again. <laughs> <laughs> What did she put on it? I don't know. Get out of my life. Exactly. So, yeah, we always go, yeah, that's whenever we introduce her, we go, yeah, this is Sam. And her claim to fame is she dated Hugh Jackman. And everyone goes, whoa. And then her husband goes, yeah, thanks. <laughs> and ended up with him. Yeah. 
yeah, no, he's a lovely guy. So, yeah, Matt and Sam, they're lovely. Uh, but I was just, what really struck me, and it's kind of like on this snowflake type area in this business and just around routine and just the way we've become and the way that we're, people have stopped drinking and people have stopped eating meat and people have stopped all these various things. And I wonder if we're just, if the pendulum has swung too far because I was listening to Hugh Jackman and he was saying every day he does his meditation and he does his journaling and then he does his reading to his wife. Half an hour she reads to him, half an hour he reads to her. And then he does these uh, thing, these various things, and then and Tim Ferriss. If you look at his morning routine, he wakes up at four thirty and does half an hour of this, and then journaling, and then drinks this and drinks that, and then oh, it just makes you feel shit about yourself, thought, doesn't it? <laughs> oh my goodness! All these things. What happens to you know, waking up next to your partner and making love, or just something really spontaneous, or calling a kid into bed and having a cuddle with them? It just We've become so routine driven. And I know that for our own mental health, there we, sh- we need to have some sort of routine, but there also needs to be time for some play within that. I feel like I should chip in here because I, this morning I woke up around my, in a, one of the service accommodation apartments that we've got, we've decided to stay there last night. And instead of going out the door and walking all the way around, I left out the window, out the front. So that's not a normal <laughs> But it's, it's another, it's kind of a downside of social media. You know, going, leaving out the window of like, you know, leaving a partner there and stuff. It was like, you know, <laughs> people don't do that anymore, do they? But I do try no, and do certain things every day or try. But yeah, it can be too, and I don't drink, but that's because I'm an idiot when I drink. So that's why, <laughs> not because I'm trying to be all this zen or whatever else. But yeah, you're right. But it's hard to come fun. full circle, hasn't it? Because people are so keen to put on social media. I get up at this time and I notice quite a lot about morning routine at the moment and about you know writing your intentions and drinking manifestations and (laughs) yeah all of that and who you know actually we were talking about it the other day we saw an advert my husband and I about um I think it was like a supermarket saying nailed it and it was showing all the different dinners they were making and the family dinners every night and the kids were just eating whatever was put down and I thought who has a house like that? What about a brave supermarket that says, this is what it's like, and you've got one kid going, don't like it, another one not eating that, and the mom going, for God's sake, I've just made that here. Yeah. That's real life. Are you in my house? When I used to work. Like, when are we going to show that so people could go, yeah, yeah exactly. that I can relate to, I'll go and shop Yes, well, And it's just a ridiculous image. And he says to me, mum, I'm not eating that crap. And I just go, yeah. Don't say that about my food I've just made. And how dare you say that word anyway? (laughs) Nicole, at your level, how much time does your property business take up each day for you? Is it still a full-time job or...? In a normal day, when I stick to my routine, uh, the property probably takes about... Uh, half the day at the moment it's taking all all the time because I've just got a few issues to get on top of that I sort of was not on top of while I was away so but in a normal day it probably takes half my time the other I spend probably a good chunk of my time on social media I've not recently because um, the content's just sort of looked after itself while I was on the boat but now I'm coming back I'm about to post about my carpet that's how <laughs> unexciting my life has become I was Is it new? a big boat <laughs> Well, no, it's very, very old. You'll see. You'll have to see my post later today when I finally get to it. But, uh, yeah, so I do spend a bit of time on my social media as well just because that is where I I have a community and that's where I engage with people and and I 
I like it. I'm just going to say I like it. I really enjoy my social media. So when people go, you know, I don't really like talking about my social media. Well, I love it. I enjoy it. And I, I love the engagement, the community that I've been able to build as a result of that. And every time I've thought about, especially when I was having a hard time, I thought about going off social media. I'd just get messages from people saying, I haven't heard from you for a while. Are you okay? And I uh, really love following your posts. So I just thought, right, even if I'm helping one or two people, I, I enjoy it. So I'm going to do it. So that takes up a bit of my time. And then I'm working on a few other projects that uh, can be talked about later, uh, sort of watch this space type things. And they're very, very exciting. And uh, so I'm working on those. And also my podcast, I'm going to relaunch again because it was quite well downloaded actually how was homeschooling then when we had lockdown for you was that like because obviously you you're busy um did you just have to become a mom a a teacher as well as a mom like us or what did you how did it work yeah how old are your children and how many do you have I've got I've got three. My partner's got about five. So we would have we had between oh, three no. and four. No, she's not entirely sure how many he's got. <laughs> well, it depends how you count them. But uh, yeah, there are there are a couple of adopted ones as well, or a step and yeah. So and seven grandchildren he's got now. So yeah, he's it's just oh. <laughs> with the homeschooling. I was kind of on top of it anyway because I homeschooled my eldest for four months at the beginning of last academic year he had some we were transitioning between cities and so rather than him start a new school before then having to change to a new one I thought I'd homeschool him for a few months and then where he do you would, live um, now so what city are you in I'm in uh, Rochester in Kent okay so yeah which is uh, really I never thought that I'd be moving here until about a week before I moved him so very <laughs> spontaneous which is interesting so um yeah, then they, they go to an excellent school down here, which is just remarkable. And they, as soon as lockdown happened, they implemented this full system of online learning, which was brilliant. So we moved here to Paul's house uh, with all the children, which was un- was <laughs> was hard <laughs> for Paul, <laughs> having uh, my three children in his house and a dog. And we just um, had children in each room. So we got kicked out of the offices and were put here on the kitchen table. And they, we did not hear from them until the, the two break times. It was so good. Occasionally, one of my children would have a hard time with their maths and then I'd send Paul up to them. But like, apart from that, it was just, it was really, really good. So completely thankful to Kings. It just meant that I was cooking and preparing food and cleaning yeah, it was all was day. It's like being like a housemaid in a hotel, wasn't mm. it? Like my my gardener couldn't come, my cleaner couldn't come. Like so, <laughs> like and then the kids weren't going to school. So I was like, hang on a minute, like what just go buy know? trolley loads of food. Dish it out. But there were you were on uh, limited amounts of bread, so you're allowed to buy two loaves of bread and two uh, pints of oat milk and things like that. And so I was having to go every day because I couldn't get a cardo shot slot. So I was going to the shops every day and I was saying, I've got four children at home. There are six of us. Please, can I buy more? And they went, no, they're the rules. Two questions we always ask. The first one is, um, can you recommend a book? So a development or business book or anything like that. And we give um, listeners the chance to win it if they screenshot the episode they've downloaded and put it on social media and tag us so we can see it. The first book, uh, because I'll give you two because they're sort of sequels. And this this is going to sound really weird, but I don't swear at all. It's not within my vocabulary because I grew up in it extremely strict religious household so even now i can't swear but it's the the subtle art of not giving up 
which I won't say, <laughs> by uh, Mark Manson. He, it was fantastic. I read it while I was away sailing and it just spoke to me. And I think that he's just got such a lovely way of writing. He's very irreverent, very uh, to the point, doesn't care what people may think. But inside, I think there's a, a writer in there desperately desperately trying to be liked. So that book was brilliant. And then his follow-up to that is called Everything is F, A Book About Hope. And it was brilliant. And it with the first one, The Subtle Arts, you, as soon as you open it, you're just in and learning. With Everything is F, it took a little while to get into it. And then I just, I was hooked. I think because he does talk about how bad everything is. And there's a section there which I won't give too much away, but it's where Elon Musk has asked, what are you most afraid of for the future? And he says, number one, nuclear war. And number two, I hope the machines are kind to us. And that oh. whole section, and I explained this to my 12-year-old yesterday, and he goes, yeah, even the chess players can't beat any of the machines that we've got in our phones now. So, yeah, it's just so much, it's so much stronger the AI and machines, but there was that section. It is mind blowing. So both those books, but yeah, I'd start with um, the subtle art of not giving it flying F. What did we have on like a few, uh, uh, when we had Mitch on a few weeks ago and he said the C word and uh, like we, we, we were like, oh, uh, but our um, podcast, the guy that produces our podcast for us, he like puts like an explicit on it. And most like most of them have had to have an E on it because somebody's, <laughs> I'm, I actually said the S word in this, didn't I? But overall, we don't we don't swear massively, do we? But I think when you're someone that don't swear a lot, when you do, it makes big impact. But yeah, he swore a lot in, in that episode, didn't he? So it's like <laughs> contrast. But a new take on that word that I've never heard, so... that's why it's so hard for me hearing my 12 and 11 year old on their xboxes swearing to their friends and Mm. i'll just go no how can my beautiful little babies be saying words like that and then paul will say to me Nicole, they're only words. For me, it's about learning (laughs) that they'll learn what these words are. For me, it's about children learning when it is and isn't acceptable to use Mm. them. So, like, um, we years ago, when my children were quite young, we went on a nice day to the river to go in um, puddling, and there were these teenagers there, and they were swearing their heads off, and they kept noticing the kids going, sorry, sorry. And then they kept doing it saying, sorry. And they genuinely couldn't say a sentence without an F word in it. And so I think, you know, that's when things have gone wrong. So for my children, I'm like, I'm happy for you to learn to swear, say the words. But if you say that in the wrong time, if you say it at school, you're on your own. I will not come and save you. Yeah. So you learn when it, you can and can't say it. And that's better. Yeah, and it seems like the word crap. They think like, I think the same as you, like, Nicole, like, don't don't say the word crap. But whereas Serena's like, mum, that one's okay. Like, you know, yeah. To- Time it's changed though. When I grew up, fart was a swear word, which it's not yeah, to say it on like, the radio. It was. Stinky it was. Stinky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We used to say bump. That doesn't seem to make any sense. Have you done a bump? <laughs> I have heard that. A trump. A trump. Yeah, a trump. trump would make more. I don't know why. We, maybe we researched it and just used it wrongly for years. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> And, and the other question that we ask, because we're the Get Savvy Club, we always ask our uh, guests, what makes you savvy? And you can take that in whatever context you want. I, I like the, the term savvy because it's actually a nautical term, 
which is why Paul called his boat Savvy because it's after his favourite uh, wine, Sauvignon Blanc, and also uh, Savvy being a, a nautical term for being wise on the water. So what makes me wise, uh, wise on the water or wise? Do you know I think that it's listening and I think it's being able to listen to people when they offer up their experience and their expertise and and genuinely listening and taking it on board and always having an open mind because as as I said to you I grew up in this very religious household and with religion you're taught never to question you just you believe blindly in this fantastical story of creation and that God is there watching your every move so you're never taught to question and to uh, it's just to blindly believe. And so I think that what's happened from my mid-20s or early 20s onwards is that I've realized that if you question everything and ask people's opinion or just ask people questions and actually ask, not in I already know the answer to this, but I'm just asking you anyway, but ask it that you genuinely want them to change your view on something. You just learn so much more. And so I try to take that. And it's very, very hard to let go of your uh, preconceived ideas and, and your belief systems because they do make you who you are. But if you can just have constantly have an open mind and constantly challenge those beliefs, I believe it makes you a more savvy person. How can people sort of, obviously you've mentioned LinkedIn, is that the best way for people to reach out and connect with you? I don't want now everyone to listen to this and think, oh, she might uh, and invest in my business. My business and get like <laughs> 10 million pictures, but how, how do people find, connect, hear more about you? The platform of their choice. I don't tend to go on Twitter and Facebook so often, but definitely on Instagram and LinkedIn. And I will be exploring TikTok soon too. So uh, oh. they're the most. And then my website, NicoleBremner.com, which will be updated at some point <laughs> if you're enjoying marketing made easy the podcast from get savvy club use your podcast app to rate review and subscribe that was a great interview and actually um i really liked nicole you know sometimes you um chat to someone and you think she's probably actually finished the podcast going god i hope i never meet those two again but i'm i'm leaving it thinking god do you know what i could probably have a drink with her and a chat with her and probably be friends with her in another life Interesting woman, um, interesting past, and now we know why you owe it to your kids to be a mean mother, um, which is absolutely, I've, all, I've always known that, and um, how to scale up from going from just doing that one house to, you know, having multiple properties, which is always really impressive, isn't it? You want to win the book, which is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Flying Far Fudge, um, then don't forget to rate, review, take a screenshot, put it on social media, tag us in so we can see it and we can send you the audio version. But, and I'm going to, I've seen it advertised or seen it in shops everywhere and I've never bought it actually. So given that um, flying praise, I'm going to check it out. Um, and also don't forget to listen out for the Get Sunny Quickie on Thursday. Um, I don't know what we're talking about, but it's bound to be good, isn't it? And insightful. Uh, so thanks very much and speak to you on Thursday. That was Marketing Made Easy, the podcast from Get Savvy Club. If you enjoyed it, join our Facebook group just search get savvy club